Hey, I'm Marcus Smith, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, this is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Welcome back to Win the Day. The quote for this episode comes from General Norman Schwarzkopf and says, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. On this show, I like to bring you the real mindset masters. And today we've got an absolute superstar, Marcus Smith, who's been through more wars than most. Marcus is an entrepreneur, an extreme athlete, and a performance coach. Based in Dubai, he's the founder of Inner Fight, which helps everyone from kids to corporate clients unlock their peak performance, as well as owner of Smith Street Paleo, which provides paleo food offerings to help people make better nutrition decisions. Marcus is fit, and I mean fit. At age 18, he started playing professional rugby, making it to the 2009 Rugby Sevens World Cup. Since then, he's completed pretty much anything with ultra in its name, including the Marathon de Sabla, which is a six-day ultra marathon through the Sahara Desert, known as the toughest foot race on earth, a 230-kilometer or 143-mile self-supported race across Kenya, and a foot race on the Auvergne volcanoes in France. In February 2018, while training to set a world record in ultra cycling, Marcus was hit by a truck, with the impact smashing him into a brick wall. But he stared death right in the face and said, not today. Rather than focus on what he lost, Marcus decided to create a documentary, Fight for Every Breath, where he details his experience and his journey back to full health. Just nine months after the accident, Marcus completed not one, not two, but 30 marathons in 30 days. In this episode, we're going to talk with Marcus about the secrets to his extraordinary self-discipline, the accident that almost killed him and how he came to terms with his trauma, the darkest moments of his recovery, what you can do for supreme motivation each day, and how to inspire unwavering self-discipline in others. It's going to be a lot of fun, this one. Let's win the day with Marcus Smith. Well, Marcus Smith, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the Win The Day Show. James, thank you so much for having me, mate. I'm super excited for this. Well, what was it like growing up in Dubai? Can you also take us into, into a bit of an overview of the city for those who haven't been there? Right, to be honest, I, I, it, it's almost like shatters the dream because when I came here when I was four, there was nothing. There was no lights, there was no highways, there was no buildings. And I think that's kind of what I, what I love still about the place is I see it quite, if you like, na- make quite naked. I see it for what it is for the culture, which now it's a lot different. There's obviously a lot of stuff that's maybe a little bit more, make sure we say it, let's be honest, it's quite plastic and a lot of it is 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 not very real at all. But I, I've got friends here that have been here forever and Dubai's kind of been home for the last, mate, coming up 40 years, dare I say it, that's a long <laughs> time. What's it like? What's it like geographically? Is it is it a lot of sand, like you would imagine, being being in the Middle East, or is there a bits of greenery and things around too? There's a lot of green, James, and that's where what the government have done super nice. But from my house, I'm literally in the middle of the desert within 20 minutes, which I absolutely love. 
And mate, next week we've got some public holidays coming up, and I'm let, I'm an hour from the mountains, and I'll be there for about three or four days of that public holiday. So. I can get away from it. And this is one of the things people come as tourists to this country and it's like, oh, it's malls and it's buildings. Yeah, there's a lot more. If you like sand, if you don't like sand, don't come here, mate. That's my <laughs> advice. And you and your wife have a, a paleo food company, don't you? What's it like getting getting uh, fresh produce and things in, in Dubai? That's all good. Yeah, we set up Smith Street Paleo in 2016. My wife's from Australia and she, she was actually an air hostess with Emirates for 13 years where we met, mate. Imagine that on an aeroplane. And um, we set up the paleo food business basically based on the back of, of her suffering a lot of inflammation when she was traveling. And she just started cooking paleo food. So, mate, getting good food back in the day when I first got here, when I was here, like I can't imagine what it'd been like when my mom was trying to cook for us as kids. But now everything's available. We've got a lot of homegrown organic food. So, yeah, it's it's super good. But, mate, I think we have probably on par with America, if I if I'm allowed to say it. Number of burger joints per capita is probably <laughs> some of the highest in the universe. So <laughs> we're trying to do a good thing, but a lot of the time, you know, burgers win basically for a lot of people. <laughs> well, people listening, you met your wife on an airplane. Tell us about the pickup line that you used. <laughs> mate, I have to, it, it's, it's not even good, mate. I was fast asleep. I was asleep. And she'll tell the story, mate. She's like, he looked okay and he was a nice sleeper. So I'm there with my <laughs> mouth shut and we actually coincidentally ran into each other. We didn't really speak on the plane. We ran into each other in a bar here in Dubai. One of my mates was over from Australia going back and I said, mate, we're not going to see each other for, for six months or so. Let's go out for a couple of quiet beers. And we walked into this bar and Holly was in there. I was like, I know you. And yeah, mate, we've, we've literally been together ever since, um, it, which is, I went back to live in Australia. I was playing rugby down there. I went back to live there and she sort of was flying in and out. And then I was like, this is the one I moved back to Dubai. And in end of 2004, I moved, I moved back here full time. And, and mate, it's amazing. We, we, we have a great life and, you know, one day we'll be back in Australia and very happy. Well, we're very happy now, mate. I mean, but you know, <laughs> I think she's, um, she's definitely, uh, didn't take much persuading, mate, to say that we'll spend the rest of our life in Australia. I was like, yeah, I'm in for that. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Well, one of, the, one of the most amazing things about your background is your career as an extreme athlete. And we'll, we'll get into the accident and, and those elements that have really defined a big part, a big chapter of your life shortly. But where did this love of extreme sports come from, the ultra running and ultra cycling and all those types of things? Mate, honestly, it's the environment that you brought up in. It was, I, I'm not blaming it on my parents, but they did such an amazing job of making sport such a big part of my life, mate. And I'm eternally grateful to them. I see a lot of my habits were their habits. It's, it's, it's incredible. They'd have people around the house running, you know, running from the house. They'd be off at triathlons. Mom would be winning running races here in Dubai. And I would just be begging the whole time from like four or five years old to go out and go running with them, you know? And I was kind of, as I got a little bit older, I was allowed to run a little bit further down the street with them. And then they'd be like, right, you've got to go home now. And, you know, and so I, it, you really, I do believe James, you, you are a massive product of your environment. And, you know, and, and, and I feel a little bit, sometimes not super comfortable saying that because I know people didn't have such fortunate upbringings that I had, but I know that people had, perhaps more fortunate upbringings than I have and haven't done much with it. But mate, endurance sport was in my blood, I think from the start. Dad has cycled the length of New Zealand. He's cycled the length of England. He's cycled pretty much halfway across America. 
So that's really where it comes from. And even to this day, like my, my dad's pressing 75, 74, 75. I was to him the other day. Yeah, he's out on his bike and mom's doing workouts in the garden. And, you know, it's amazing, mate. I love my parents so much and they've given me so much. Yeah, you got to catch up. It's a good, good benchmark of, of fitness and adventure for your life. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It really is. Well, you've done you've done ultra marathons and things through the Sahara Desert. Was there was there a particular moment where you felt like maybe you'd bitten off more than you can chew? No, absolutely not. The Sahara was the moment where a lot of things came clear, mate. I was running 250k's across the Sahara, self-supported, and honestly, I was. I have a picture of it just before it happened. Just so happened that one of my friends took a picture. And about 50 meters from where this picture is taken, I stopped. And the, this, the, the sand, the, it was almost like a salt flat. And the earth had almost parted. And there was this, just this big line of runners. And I was like, wow, I'm in the middle of the Sahara Desert. I'm nowhere. We hadn't seen any other civilization, mate, for, since we'd been there, like five days. And I just thought to myself, this is amazing that we as human beings are allowed to pass on this earth. And from that, I always had a massive appreciation for nature and, 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 and for the outdoors, mate. And I spent a lot of time when I was young in boarding school in the UK outside. But on that moment, I think a lot of things changed. And since then, all I've wanted to do is, is cross landscapes on foot and, and walk and hike and run and, and cycle. And my wife's probably going, yeah, this is where it all went wrong. I let you go to the Sahara. <laughs> but yeah, mate, I, I just had this sort of almost epiphany if you want. And, you know, reflection, I'm, I'm huge on James. And the more I think about it, every time I sort of tell that story, the closer I, I, I come to it. Yeah, there's tough times, mate. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's brutal. Ultra marathons, endurance sports are... I call them the, the wildest roller coaster ride you'll ever go on because you are literally, you have these moments and you're, 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 you're invincible. No one can touch you. You know, you're running through the Sahara and it's just amazing. And, you know, a few hours later, the sun goes down and you're like, why the hell am I here? <laughs> why do I even exist as a human being? You know, and you, and that's what's so amazing, mate. You have these ultimate highs and lows, which allows you to come back into life. And I believe live on, on a different level. Again, it's no better or no worse than anyone else. But for me, it's elevated my game on in a number of areas, family, business, a number of different areas. So yeah, it's the Sahara is very special. Yeah, it's interesting. I often think about those sliding door moments about one decision, even even just people when I first moved to LA, there was a barbecue that I went to in the afternoon, which became the foundation of friendships, which has led to so many other amazing things. So something like that one decision of doing the Sahara Desert has helped you, uh, yeah, with with a whole heap of, of inspiration. Uh, for those who don't know, can you take us into the specifics of, of running through the Sahara Desert? Is it soft sand? Is it hard sand? Is it super hot? Are you wearing shoes? Like what's what's the deal? Yeah, so uh, mate, that's a great question. So Marathon de Sable, which is the race, which was the first, it was the second big ultra that I did actually, is quite famous. It was It's a 250K race. You carry everything you're going to need for those six days on your back. You only get given water along the way. You wear normal trainers and we stitch in what's called a sand gator to stop the sand from coming in. Despite people thinking the Sahara is all sand, it's not all sand, but a shit ton of it is sand, mate. And you get sand everywhere. I was, was going to say, how effective are the gators? Are they like sand is like water? It's sort of hard to get out if you're right in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mate, they're good, but they're not. That You get sand, mate. You get sand everywhere. And, and a lot of the places where you were, it's like a clay sand. So at the end of it, you're like, 
is this a real suntan? And then you have a shower and it all comes <laughs> off. But mate, mountains in the day, it's super hot. In the night, it gets really cold. And that's why it's such a brutal race, that particular one, because a lot of races, like you'll have a race across a, a, a in a country that's quite hot most of the time. I was in Kenya last year and that race is quite warm the whole time. You'll have races in, in, in the Arctic. There's an ultra where it's just freezing cold all the time. Whereas the Sahara, it can get down to about six or eight degrees at night but up to 45 degrees in the day. So you get these massive swings. And, you know, it, it sounds quite straightforward. Yeah, you're going to put everything on your back and you're going to run. But that pack shouldn't weigh really more than about nine kilos. So you're eating dehydrated food, which after a few days obviously does quite funky stuff to your digestive system. For some people, it completely blocks them. Other people are literally just diarrhea the whole way through, which is, you know, these problems are real. And, and then we've got hygiene issues as well. You're not able to wash properly because you only get enough water to drink. So literally, you're, you're, you're starting to come out and rash under your armpit because you're just sweating so much. And, you know, you, I don't need to go on about how your private parts will look, but you can imagine that as well, mate. It's just, it's carnage. And this is, I train a lot of people. I've, I've taken over 20 people through that race now. And people will come and see me and they'll be like, tell me, tell me what it's about. And I just, I'll say, listen, this race is nothing about running. This race, like life, is about all the other stuff. If you get all of your little admin bits in place, if you control the controllables, we've heard it like 3 million times in the year of COVID, mate. But if you can focus and control on what you control, then you actually have a great time. And it's mental. We're over 1,300 people running through the Sahara, mate. So you imagine that all absolute Fruit Loops. Yeah. Is everyone setting up their own tents or and bivvies or anything like that? How does, how does that work? Where do you sleep? They put together like this absolute token shelter, mate, that most nights just falls down. And you've got eight blokes laying literally like sardines. And when it falls down, no one can be bothered to put it back up because everyone's so tired. So everyone's people cooking. Up, yeah. People just sleep under the stars, mate, on rocks. You don't sleep properly for, <laughs> you know, for the seven days. You And this is the nature of ultra races. And this is, this is what really takes people down because you've got a lot of people that are very good runners. But if they can't, you know, if they can't manage stinking, just like a lot of people are, are, are rightly, I'm very anal about washing, you know, in normal life. But when I'm in the bush or when I'm when I'm in an endurance event, you've got to deal with that, and you don't have enough water, and you won't have enough sleep, and eating dehydrated food the whole time is is not like eating fresh paleo food, for example, you know. And it's all these things that just start to chip away at people slowly, and 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 most people you can you can move forward. And this is one of the biggest learnings I've got from, from ultra running and from endurance sports is that you can keep moving forward, but when you don't really, when you're moving forward to another camp that you don't have anything to look forward to, it's quite a difficult argument to sell to yourself in a way. It's not like, mate, you finish this, we're at the pub, we're going to have a countertop meal and we're going to have a schooner. It's like, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but it's like, yeah, we're going to get to this other shit campsite where you won't be able to wash. You'll have to cook your food, which tastes like shit anyway. And then you'll sleep <laughs> on a rock. Do you want to go? It's like, no, nah, I don't really want to go there. Sounds enticing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. So these are the challenges, but that's what makes it absolutely incredible. How do you how do you feel at the start line of these things now that you have done so many of them? Do you feel nervous? Do you feel, or you, have you gone through it that much now that you're just prepared, you understand the process, and you just got to focus on putting one foot in front of the other? Yes to all of the above, but I still get a bit nervous, mate, in a way that 
I am when I go to these races, most of them now I want to try and push a little bit and I want to find I'm going there. We're on a journey of self-discovery. We all are, mate, when in, in different ways. We're expressing that in different ways. So I want to see where my limits are. I want to sort of start to push it. And I also love it, mate, because I've been to a lot of races and 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 the pre, like the day before everyone gathers and then we start the race the next day. And I love just listening to people just listening to stories. If it's their first race, people talking about their shoes, their equipment, and just sitting back and listening and taking it all in. And you meet some people that generally may, and this is what we always say, that endurance sports brings together people that, you know, we wouldn't be friends. This is the one thing that brings us together. We don't have anything else in common. We don't like the same music. We don't, you know, but through this crazy sport of suffering, we all come together and, and you make some amazing, amazing friends. Like all of my good friends now, I sort of know through endurance sports. It kind of, it's gone from rugby mates to endurance mates, and they're both a crazy bunch. <laughs> it's quite good fun. The way, you, the way you talk about it is the way that people talk about Burning Man and ayahuasca. It's like this experience of self-discovery that, that people go through. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it, it, it is that, James. That's a, that's a very good way of, of, of putting it together yeah uh, obviously you're you're uh, have a competitive spirit and and somewhat of an obsessive nature to do the work behind the scenes to get this done are you are you very competitive and obsessive about all other areas of your life too yes mate <laughs> i can't what do i say no mate i'm, I'm totally <laughs> chilled out like i'm really relaxed mate i'm very ocd on on number of levels and that's why I think that's one of the reasons, and without this sounding wrong, that's one of the reasons why I love my wife so much because she puts up with it. You know, um, mate, everything is like bang, bang. My, my diary is just so strictly done. My training is strictly done. And because when I started doing, when, well, when I was playing sport, when I was playing rugby competitively, and, and then when I moved into ultras, you're going to be in a remote place in an ultra. If you're not OCD, if you've left one thing, that could, that could just ruin your whole experience. And that for me is sad because you might have to pull out the race because, you know, one of the guys rocked up to one of the races that, I, that I've been in and, and he didn't have his inner soles in his shoes. So his race is destroyed. He'd, he'd washed them the day before and forgot to put them back in. So yeah, mate, I'm, I'm pretty OCD in, in pretty much every area of my life. I'm very routine driven, which again, mate, I, you wouldn't be surprised comes from my dad. You know, it's like every single, you know, Sunday we do this, Monday we do this, Tuesday, you know, it is bang like that. And that's how I work really well, mate. I have my whole, my whole work life. I run two businesses. I do all this training and I try and spend as much time with my wife and, uh, as, I, as I can. I have to live in these buckets. So, you know, Sunday is for this, Monday is for this. And I try not to tell Holly that, you know, okay, uh, I'm home now. We've got two hours you know, make the best of it sort of thing. <laughs> but, um, and you know, I do like, we take, we take as well, we did take as much holidays as, as we could. We try and get away four or five times a year. Obviously COVID's made that quite difficult, but I think that downtime is really important as well because a lot of people would say, yeah, you're really intense. And, and, you know, when I'm here, I'm, I'm just on, like I was this morning, I was up just before four o'clock and I was riding my bike at four 30 and then bang, bang, bang the whole day. And, you know, I've just literally an hour ago, got home from my sister because it was her birthday. And now we're having this chat. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's bang. And, but I love it, mate. I, I love it. And I think that's what helps me as well. It's not for everyone, but it's, it's just the way it's what works for me. 
Sure. Yeah. The more prepared you are, the more you allow yourself that, that luxury of surrender. There's, there's an old quote that's taken so many different forms. It says, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. It's like people in the UFC, they talk about the more you sweat in the gym, the less you bleed in the octagon. Clearly, you have no no troubles putting in this work behind the scenes. What What is that secret to the daily motivation? Is it just something that's instilled in you as a kid from, from your parents, as you mentioned earlier, or is there actually something going through your head every single day? Like I talk about uh, a lot about the win the day mentality. So I literally have that in my head was I as I step into the cold shower in the morning, it's win the day. My alarm says win the day. It's like a little mantra that just helps me move forward. Have you got something like that for that to inspire that daily motivation that enables that consistency? Yeah, I do, James. And 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 it's not dissimilar. I, I my alarm's called dominate. That's what like when I'm waking up to dominate, which is most days, I'm I'm waking up to dominate. It's funny because when I'm waking up to teach people, my alarm's called make people better at life. So when I'm teaching first thing in the morning, when that's my first appointment, it's that. But mate, I I, I get up every morning as we all do, and I look in the mirror, and I'm, I, I literally, this is it. I'm excited. I want to do this, you know? And, and, I, and I try and carry that attitude. Mate, I'm not full of crap. Some days are shit. They, they, not every day is amazing, mate. I have different stresses. We all do. But I look in the mirror every morning. I'm like, this is going to be the best day of my life. You know, this is really it. And then one thing that I think is super, super healthy, and Holly and I have done it, since we've been together 17 years, whenever we've been in each other's company is we sit down at the dinner table every night. We, there's only, you'll laugh at this. There's one month of the year or three weeks of the year where I have a screen on, which is when the Tour de France is on. She lets me watch it. <laughs> it's wild, mate, because the, the finish of the Tour de France is like at like five o'clock in France, seven o'clock Dubai time. So I'm like, sweetheart, it's live. I've got to watch it. And she bought into this years ago. But the point is, mate, we sit down, no devices, nothing except those three weeks of the year. And we'll debrief the day. Not formally, mate. It's not like, oh, what did you love about today? I'm not really like, can I say airy fairy like that? We're pretty straightforward. How did it go? What went on? And we'll talk. And I think we spend more time talking. Like we never watch TV mate, I can't watch Netflix. I, I hate it, you know? So those things that are, and that this is also because of the way that I was brought up in boarding school, discipline was huge, but I think those things really help you or they really help me, mate. And the way that I live is the way that I live. I, I don't think it's for, for everyone, but the same that you wake up with an attitude to win the day. Like why, I don't get why people don't try and wake up with that attitude. You know, like I know, mate, some days you wake up and I know there's things on your agenda that you're not 100% looking forward to. But when you switch that attitude on, I'm going to win this day. Even if this thing that I have to deal with is shit, I'm going to win at it. Then you're going into it in such a positive way with such a beautiful mindset that you're actually going to turn that bad experience into a good one and have an awesome day. And we can all do that. I really believe that we can. Yeah, it's an opportunity each day to also do something that your future self will thank you for. There's something that you that you mentioned earlier, which I, uh, doing some research for today, I, I love about you too, is that you're very big on people finding the right training and the right nutrition and the right routine that suits them rather than just trying to go and, and get a downloaded uh, template version off the internet. When everyone wants that formula for the, you know, the seven-minute abs, that type of thing, they want that magic bullet to success rather than finding out, look, what is it that's going to fire you up and something that's going to to keep you consistent. Yeah, I think that's the key, mate. You know, everyone, everyone's always worried about what everyone else is doing. And 
No one else is, you know, living your life. You're living your life. You've got to deal with your problems. You've got to get out of your bed and look at your face in your mirror. So we need to go inwards to figure out what works. Yeah, to get different ideas from here and there. Listen to your show. I was listening to it earlier today when I was riding my bike. Beautiful show. You know, very, very inspiring, the lady that you had on. And I got some ideas, but then I have to take them in to figure out what I'm going to do with them, you know? So I think that's super important, mate. And different ways of training, different ways of different ways of meditation, different ways of approaching life is different for everyone. If, if someone's listened to this show and they get fired up and they go and try and live the way I live, it won't work for you. It will not work for you. You've got to take small bits and they might start to work. And then we start to, we can start to develop change, but we have to figure out what works. But I don't know what you think, James, that's the hard bit. And that's the bit where we have to look deep into ourselves to figure out what we are, who we are, and how we're going to live. And I think it's easier to go, oh yeah, James is saying live like this, I'll do that. And it will give us happiness, but it will only last for a certain period of time because it has to come from within. And that's tough. For sure. That win definitely starts within. And I think that's where having that environment of that supporting network, a group of friends, I was speaking at a a virtual event last night. And the question was, how do you get away from toxic people? And that's the element of protecting your energy source at all costs. I just don't have any negative people in my life. I just, I just don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not actively, uh, you know, wishing people harm or, or cutting them off. It's just, I'm spent too much time. Like you, you've only got X amount of energy each day and that's allocated to people who give me energy. And I get inspired by watching other people achieve success, which is what you do through your coaching and, and other elements as well. Yeah. I think that's super important. It was funny. I just, I was just with my sister. It was her birthday and we we're talking about that. And we actually, the scenario we we're talking about was if you pass someone in a supermarket that you don't really like, but you kind of know, would you stop? <laughs> and I'm like, no, of course I won't stop. Like I don't need to stop because if I spend 30 seconds with that person, I could call someone that I really care about that I love and try and change their life in those 30 seconds. And she's like, no, no, you've got to stop. And I'm like, Claire, no, I'm not stopping. <laughs> anyway, dinner, dinner chat. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your accident, it's, it's, it has elements, so many elements of the Janine Shepherd story. Are you, are you familiar with Janine Shepherd? I'm not, James, no. I've got to send you more information about her. So Janine was on a, a bike ride in the Blue Mountains after she'd qualified for the Winter Olympics in Calgary in, in 1988, and she was hit by a truck, and she's you know, she has an amazing story and has done a TED talk. And there's so many parallels uh, about the mindset that you have with what, with her story as well. And a big part of that is that we can be on what we believe is the right path and everything might be looking good for us, but out of completely out of left field through really no fault of our own, something really, you know, massive, life-changing, life-altering, near-death experiences that will change our life forever can happen. Can you take us into that day of the accident and exactly what happened? Yeah, of course I can, mate. I was, uh, I was like you rightly said, I was just on a completely different path. I was, I was actually training on my bike to set, I was going to try and set an ultra cycling world record. And we're about two weeks out from the first race. And I was in the mountains about an hour or so from my house. And I was riding with three other friends and I was hit by a truck at just over 55 to 60 Ks an hour. And that truck pushed me onto a brick wall that I then hit at 54 kilometers an hour, which is a little bit problematic because human 90 kilo, I was about 88 kilos then, 
traveling at 54 kilometers an hour into a brick wall. But I, I think, mate, and this is, there's so many crazy things about this story. But in this split second, I dropped my shoulder like I would have done in rugby and it took all the impact. So on impact, I broke my scapula or I later find out that I broke my scapula and I broke seven ribs, which bones are not really that much of a problem, mate, without sounding sort of blasé about it. But I realized very fast that it was almost like I'd been winded and I couldn't breathe very well. And as I sort of started to figure out like what was, why couldn't I breathe? There was a lot of blood coming out of my mouth. And I remember having this thought to myself, I'm like, I've seen this in, in, in some movie, you know, when the guy gets shot, the blood comes out and next thing the guy's dead. And I was like, I'm in, I'm in trouble here. And one of the things through ultras and, and this thing that I talk about the ultra mindset is you, you, you have to, if you have a problem, you have to admit you have a problem. You can't just deny it, you know, and, and <laughs> I couldn't deny it. There was blood coming out of my mouth. I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, shit, I've got a problem. And what had happened is my left lung had on the impact with the wall had essentially almost just exploded like a beach ball would just go. And that makes breathing incredibly hard because you're breathing essentially with, with the lung on the right side, although they're both together. And I sort of was laid there for the next, it took almost 90 minutes to two hours to get an ambulance because we're in the mountains and so many amazing things happen, mate. It, it, it's, it's really, again, the more I talk about it, and thank you for asking me the question because this is part of my therapy because it, it really does help me a lot. You know, the more I reflect on it, the more I know in that moment that my, my body and my mind were detached, my soul left, and I saw something different. And a lot of people are listening going, wow, this is a bit, going a bit crazy. But in that moment that I was out of my body, all of the pain stopped. I could breathe again and everything was totally normal. And I thought to myself, you're in a bit of a bad situation. And I said, well, what's the options here? And essentially there was two options. One was just give up. And I was like, I, I thought to myself, James, I was like, I love my life. I'm doing something I love. I'm with my mates. My wife's at home. You know, nah, that's not an option. There's only one option. The only option was to fight for every single breath. And when I decided to take that option, I couldn't breathe again. I was back in my body and I was just trying to draw this breath. And it was just wild, mate. It was just such a such an amazing experience to reflect on the power of choice, the amount of choice that we have in the world these days. And then when that choice is, is removed and you have to put all of your energy into something that is just so, so simple for us, which was breathing. And I, mate, I made it through <laughs> the long and short of it. Obviously I'm here, <laughs> but yeah, like three days, I was three days in intensive care which is, which is really awful, mate, because no one really knows. You want an answer, but no one has the answer. You know, you're like, am I okay? Am I going to live? You know, you've got all these wires coming off. You're like, like am I actually going to get out of here sort of thing? You know, you're conscious. And I was conscious the whole time and no one can tell you. They're like, yeah, we, we're hoping your lungs going to open. And you're like, what do you mean you're hoping? Like, is that not going to happen? And they're like, oh, oh, we'll send someone else you know, and you're in this weird, weird time. But again, mate, it was just an amazing time to, to reflect, to think, to listen to others, 
and 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 then when when I was moved to the main ward, I was able to answer people's questions, probably not with quite as much energy as I've got right now. You know, it was like, uh, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, because you just literally, like, I couldn't, like, I'd be like, people would be making me laugh. I'm like, can you please not make me laugh? <laughs> yeah, my seven like, ribs aren't happy with that. <laughs> yeah. And like one of them was snapped in two places and one was like coming out of my skin and all this stuff. It was like a real mess, mate. And I'm like, guys, you've got to leave this room. Like all my mates coming in trying to cheer me on. I'm like, you've got to go. I can't Cruel friends. It. <laughs> yeah but you know that it just gives these and this is what i believe life gives because it gives these unique moments and these these super unique opportunities where we're asked to respond and we're asked to make decisions and those decisions really they almost define us mate and they prepare us for what else is coming in life the decisions that i made during my crash during the recovery of my tr- crash has prepared me for things that I'm facing now. And, and I'm able to, you know, I'm able to remain. I, I was, I was not, I'm not aggressive, you know, but I'm so much calmer now than, than I was before, you know, and, and I, I'm just happy to sit back, listen, take stuff in. And I'm comfortable to say, thank you, James. Let me come back to you on that. Whereas I remember before, I'd be like, no, James, we've got to do it like this, mate. Let's finish it now, right now, right now, me and you, you know what I mean? And now I'm just like, yeah, it's cool. And, you know, because lungs need time to heal and you can't rush it. I always used to want to rush things, even, even till that age, even till I was 40, I was just, I was going, you know, always super fast. And I was like, my accident and reflection has just told me you can slow down and it's okay to say nothing. And it's okay to say to someone, thank you so much. I'll come back to you tomorrow. That's cool. Like we're in this world now where, you know, if you don't reply to a WhatsApp within like 3.5 seconds, you're not a nice person. It's bullshit, mate. Like it's just, we don't need to live like that. And we're forced to live like that often by the system. And we just don't need to. So yeah, it was a, it was a wild year. 2018 was just the best, mate. Honestly, I, I mean it from my heart. It was amazing. When, when did you realize the severity of the situation? A big problem that I have with doctors and psychologists who, who do great work, don't get me wrong, but it's when we put a label on someone that can force them to say, oh, you know what? That is the reason why I shouldn't do X, Y, and Z rather than giving them the motivation and opportunity to go out there and, and actually make something happen. When was the, because most doctors, I've got to err on the side of, of caution. When I was in Boston about eight years ago, I had a, what's it called? Like a grade three um, shoulder um, separation and, you know, where you get like a little bump on your on your shoulder. And I remember the guy saying, look, you'll never be able to do CrossFit again. And I was thinking to myself, but I, I love CrossFit. That was the, that was this doctor. And I, I believed him. So I went home and I, I took these, you know, these, uh, I forget what they're called, these painkillers that made me horribly depressed. I remember staring there, uh, standing there in the shower in tears, just, you know. Like tramadol or something like that. It was, it was the oxy, uh, oxycodone, oxycontin, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I had something similar when they sent me from hospital. I was taking these painkillers and I was losing it. And literally, mate, I came downstairs one morning and I took the bag and I went out to the garbage and I just threw them all away. So yeah. I'm not having more painkillers. So no, but I mean, mate, it, it, it's, I think again, everything's, the funny thing is, mate, and, and folks that I tell this often, anytime anyone asks me, go back on my Instagram the day before my crash, which was on like 
the 12th, uh, 9th of February, crashed on the 10th of February. I posted a picture that said, everything happens for a reason. And the next day this happens. And on that theme, wow. doctors that I had were incredible, mate. They never made me feel like I was going to be unable to do something. And I remember, and I'm forever thankful for this guy. The physio came in to my room when I got moved to the main ward. Well, there was like, there was three really cool things. One, the guy in the emergency room was just totally calm, super calm and so nice, softly spoken. And that made me feel comfortable. I then went to see the surgeon and he said, mate, listen, he was a South African guy. And he said, listen, your shoulder's in so many pieces, I wouldn't know where to start putting it back together. So I'm not going to bother operating. See you later. And I was like, yes, that's the best news it's, ever. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. And then when I got moved to the main ward, this physio came in and this was a real, a real turning point for me, James. The physio came in. I'd been three days in intensive care and it was like the second day in the ward. So I hadn't moved from the bed for almost five days. And he was an English guy and he looked at me and he goes, how are you feeling, mate? And I went, actually, I feel pretty good, mate. Like, I, I, it was morning and I'm, you know, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm feeling good and I'm doing what I said, you know, earlier. And he goes, do you want to go for a walk? And then, mate, my face must have just dropped. I'm, I, I suddenly wasn't feeling so good. I was like, <laughs> absolutely petrified. And I went to him, are you serious? And he went, yeah, you can go for a walk if you want. I was like, mate, I would love to. I was going to say, oh, as long as it's an ultra walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the thing, James. It, it literally was. It took me over 10 minutes to sit upright in bed. And I had, at this point, I had a, a, a pipe coming out from my lungs, draining the blood off. I had a pee bag in, I had a catheter in. And he just grabbed these two and he clipped them on his belt as I'd stood up. And he said, come on then, mate, let's go for a walk. And it was like I was reborn, mate. I'd five days... I didn't know whether I'd make it through, mate. I was fighting for my life on the side of the road. I had no idea whether I'd make it through. And I started shuffling out of the, of the hospital ward, of the hospital room, down the ward. And I was just, I had this grin on my face, mate. I was, I was holding my left arm because everything here is broken. And I was holding it. I was like, I was almost crying. And I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And you could see the look on his face. He was so happy for me. And I felt just superhuman. But at the same time, my piss bag on one clip on his belt, my blood bag on the other, and my hospital gown at the back was fully open. I'm cut to shreds and, and I'm having the best moment of my life. And I'm like, wow, this is just so, so surreal. And no doctor's going to tell me I can't because I'm going to do this and I'm going to recreate this feeling as often as I can. And I only went and saw, I had one more physio session after that. And I did all of my own rehab on my shoulder. I woke up every morning, 4.30, went to my gym and started training, got in that environment. And the first week I'd actually, I'd sneak out of the house when Holly was like cooking dinner or something. I'd sneak out of the house. I'd get in my car and I'd drive to my gym. She called me, she goes, where are you? I'm like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm at the gym, you know? And I just want to be there, mate, because I'd want to be in this environment of people. And I knew the power of their energy to heal me was going to be something amazing. And 
it did. I did it for a week. And then when I could start training, I started training. And I just asked myself every day, it goes back very similar to, to what we're talking about of, of win the day. I said, what can I do today just to get better? You know, and when you're really buckled, mate, like progress is super small, but also super big. Like to be able to lift my hand in line with, with, with my shoulder, it's like nothing really when you think about it. Like you're so far from being able to lift up a bottle of water or anything because all you can do is get it to here. But three weeks before, I couldn't even lift barely my hand off my leg. So your whole perspective on things just starts to change. And that's when you realize that the human body and the human mind, they are incredible. And for the amount of time that we disconnect them, we talk about mental and physical we're one being, we're a human being, and we're an amazing piece of machinery. It's incredible. It really is. I love it. There's a, there's a part of your bio, which is crazy. 30 marathons in 30 days within nine months of the accident. I want to ask you a question. There's a, there's a story about Bear Grylls, former British SAS who was uh, in Africa, and he jumped out of the plane and he's had an issue with his parachute and ended up breaking his back and he was in hospital. And he had a picture of Mount Everest that he put at the wall at the end of his hospital bed. And the nurse came in and said, why have you got a picture of Mount Everest there? And he said, because when I get out of hospital, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. And she said, the only thing you're going to be climbing in and out of is a wheelchair. And sure enough, I forget the, I forget the time frame, but he went and climbed Mount Everest after he had a broken back. You had 30 marathons in 30 days. Where did the idea for that first come from? It's very similar to that story, James. I was laid in the hospital bed and it was one of the rare times I got amazing support in hospital, but it was one of the rare times I was alone. And I had this thought because my whole life had been about this ultra cycling world record. And I was like, that's gone. And I had to make peace with it being gone. And I had this thought of, well, if I can't ride my bike, I could definitely run. And I sent a, a message to one of my friends who now works with me. It's almost like a romantic love story, mate. <laughs> and I said to Rob, I sent him this route in Corsica that someone had sent me before. And it's basically crossing the island of Corsica from, from sort of the top left-hand corner to the bottom right-hand corner, 195 kilometers, 10,000 meters elevation. And I told Rob, he was a school teacher at the time. And I said, tell me what date you finish school because the following Monday, we're going to run this. And he just wrote back, mate, leave it, get better, speak to me in a few weeks. Yeah, like my really schedule is very clear for the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah. And um, mate, when I was training for that, I actually picked up Dean Carnassus book uh, when Dean Carnassus had run 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. And I thought, I was 40 in 2018. I thought, bike crash, near death in Feb. 40 at the end in December, I got to do something pretty special in between. And there's a fit, it's called the Dubai Fitness Challenge, which is a 30-day challenge. And I called up the organizers and I said, you know, you guys have got this challenge. And they're like, yeah, yeah, 30, 30 minutes of exercise a day for 30 days. I said, I'm just about to blow it out of the water. And the guy said, what are you talking about? And I go, well, mate, I'm going to run a marathon every day for 30 days. And he's just like, no. I was like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. He's like, mate, this is for sedentary people to get them moving for 30 minutes. You're just, it's too extreme. 
and I'm on the other end of the phone going, yeah, exactly. That's, you know, if I do something that's absolutely so stupid that everyone will just go, well, if that moron can, you know, and I had all this, all this sales bitch, James. You, you're, 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 yeah, you're a man of the people trying to get everyone's average up. <laughs> yeah, basically, mate. And he's just going, no. Anyway, a few more phone calls and, and I got it through. And yeah, that's really where it came from, mate. And I was just like, you know what? My, my motivation for doing it was, was, was super clear in that I wanted to see where I could push myself to physically and, and mentally as well, because that's what the ultra cycling would have done. So I wanted to sort of test my potential. And in, in the process of that, I, I wanted to inspire a lot of people as well. I thought, you know, I live in Dubai. Dubai has been my home for a number of years. If I can run into schools, that'll be something absolutely amazing. So I finished about 16 of the 30 days in a school. Some days I had two and a half thousand kids trying to race me around a 400 meter track, which when you've already run 42 kilometers that day and you've run like 10 or 15 of these things, mate, and you're absolutely smoked and the kids are trying to run like three and a half minute Ks because they're running with the marathon, man. It's like absolute carnage. <laughs> but we were able to create an amazing, an amazing impact, mate. And it's, it's so ironic that it's actually the day that we're recording this. 24th, it's two years ago to this day that I finished my 30th marathon. So, mate, it was, it was wild. It was just, you learn so much, mate. And, you know, I, I get to meet so many amazing people. Uh, again, energy, you know, just feeding off people. I'd have people that just get up, get up four in the morning, drive to where I was, start running with me. You know, I had like 40 or 50 people that ran a full marathon, of which like 30 had never run a marathon before. I was literally only on my own for like three hours of the whole month. It was just, mate, I'd, I'd literally, I downloaded like 20 audiobooks and I didn't even listen to one. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like at the end of it, what am I going to do with all these audiobooks that I had planned? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was, it was wild, mate. It's just a lot of these things. It's, it's, it's so much fun. And thank you for the great questions, mate. It's fun to talk about them and to continue the reflection, but a lot of them are just, Honestly, mate, they, they're quite surreal. Like, you know, sometimes I just like, did it, did this stuff happen? Is this me? Is this, is this life? And then you, then you realize, yeah, it did. And this is life. And it is amazing because on February the 10th, I'm in intensive care. And on November the 24th, I've just run my 30th marathon. There, there is nothing we can't do, mate. We just got to figure out how to do it. We really can. For sure. And that legacy is going to live on for a long, long time. All the different people, you know, who you help with your, with your story. You're a super positive and inspiring guy, high energy. Was there a particularly dark day that, that stood out in that recovery period between the accident and the, and the marathon? Oh, yeah, mate, there were tough days. There were really tough days. The first, the first week that I went home was brutal because you can't sleep. And sleep deprivation is, is really tough. I'm okay with, with pain, but when you can't sleep and literally I'd say to Holly, I just literally like, I just want it to go away. I just want it to end. I just want this pain to end. Like, mate, you laugh too hard, a rib pops. You roll over in bed, a rib pops. And you're just like, oh my God. But mate, when you're committed, when you're committed like you are to wake up every day and to say, I'm going to win the day, that starts a programming in your subconscious and you do it now subconsciously. So it's going to take a lot for that 
dark moment in the night where, you know, I'm, I'm almost in tears because I'm in so much pain and I've thrown these damn painkillers away because they're giving me nightmares and stuff. You're digging back like, through the trash trying to, trying to find yeah. <laughs> You know, all of that's forgotten when you just, when you've programmed your subconscious, but mate, it was brutal. And a lot of people will say to me, oh, Marcus, it's amazing. You recovered so fast. And, and, you know, in that same tone that I said before, I just look at them and go, yeah, bro. I recovered fast. You don't get no idea. know the half of it, you know, and, and I never would say that to people because people are just trying to be polite. And I just appreciate that they say nice things to me. But, you know, when you do the first month of my training, mate, I would just to make it simple, because when life is hectic, training should be simple. I would just do 100 rounds of Tabata every morning, 20 on, 10 off for a hundred rounds. And it's still set up like that in my phone, hundred rounds. When people come to train with me, they're like, you've got it saying a hundred rounds. Are we really going to do a hundred rounds of Tabata? I'm like, we'll see how it goes, bro. They're like, yeah. do you really? Do that? I was like, I did, you know? And so, yes, mate, there are a lot of, there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of tough times. And I think that's one thing that, you know, people that listen to shows like yours, mate, you have very inspiring guests on you, you know, you, you give off a lot of great energy. I think for people to think that we don't have tough days that, you know, we don't just look at it and go, Oh my God, you know, how, or get overwhelmed. We all get overwhelmed, mate. And, you know, we, we have to, we have to be honest with ourselves on that. But I think what the difference is from what you said and, and from what I see in my life is that no matter how bad today is, I wake up tomorrow and it's a new day and I'm ready to dominate and you're ready to win the day. And if I can just encourage people that every time you go to bed, when you get up the next day, you've been just gifted this unique opportunity to do amazing things and you've got a fresh mind. And if you come with it, with this great positive mindset, you're going to have an awesome life and you just rinse and repeat that. And it's beautiful. Really yeah, it's it, it's so true. There's there's an old saying. It says a happy person wants ten thousand things. A sick person wants just one thing. What did facing death head on teach you about life? To live. To live, mate. To live every single day. Don't waste time, because, mate, it's brutal. It nearly ended, and. It's hard. It's hard for me when I look back at it, when I think about it. It's very, very emotional, mate. And wouldn't it just be a waste? I, how close was I? You could say very, not very. I was very close, you know? And I'm here. So I live. And that is something that, you know, is, is easy to say, but I think is... Yeah, it's challenging, mate, and it's tough. Some days are, are very tough, but that's what I learned from it. Sure. Well, one more question before we move into the into the rocket round. How do you balance? You're obviously a super, uh, you know, goal setting is a big part of, of what you do by the sound of it. You're always focused on a big achievement in the future. How do you balance that hunger for future achievements with your happiness in the present? Because the goal is just where you're headed to. The goal for me is important, but, mate, the process is my love. I love the Holly will tell you, she goes, she's like, you only sign up for these races so you can like buy new stuff. And like, <laughs> you know, mate, for me often the, the, the end goal running across the Sahara, running in Kenya, all of these places I was in Sri Lanka last year. Amazing. Amazing. But the training 
the waking up tomorrow morning at half four, dark, cold, going out and do something, eating well the whole time, being hydrated, sleeping eight hours a night. That's what I love, mate. That is what I love. The goal is just, it's like the icing on the cake. It's like, it's good for the selfies and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's at the end, but mate. And that's, that's why I think people struggle a little bit sometimes because they're so focused on the end goal that they forget that the process is life. And it has to be part of your life, this, this end goal. You know, you have to enjoy. There's no point in, in, in dreaming about climbing Everest. You have to dream about, you know, cold adaptation training. You have to dream about wearing big down jackets and you have to be in love with that. You can't just dream about taking the picture on the top of Everest. That's, that's not it. It's the process, mate. And that, because that's life. Otherwise, you just go from one six-month goal or race to another, and that would be awful. And I, I've seen way too many people, and I get people that come to me for, for, for endurance coaching, and they've just had awful experience. They hate it. They hate it. And I'm like, wow, you spend 16 hours a week doing this sport that you hate. Like, this is ridiculous. You know? So that's, I, I love the process, mate. Do I, again, do I love every single minute of training? You know? I try to because I always make it fun, you know, and, and I'm at a stage now I'm, I'm coming 42 and this is what I've chosen to do. Is it my calling in life? If that's what you want to say, yeah, it is. And I absolutely love it, mate. I love every minute of it. I really do. Yeah, life's too short to do what you hate. And it's it's that will to, it's not necessarily the will to win. It's the will to prepare to win, which which I, really like, uh, I feel like is a big theme from you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally, mate. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Well, let's now move into the win the day rocket round where we ask you 10 questions for some for some quickish answers. You ready for this yep. one, Marcus? Yep. <laughs> number one, what quote inspires you the most? Mate, I've, I've actually got two answers for this. Number number one is is my brand mantra, which is my, my brand is called Inner Fight and my brand mantra is called Show No Weakness or is Show No Weakness, which means a number of different things we won't go into. But really one that's a little bit more famous is from Gandhi who says, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And I think that really sums up a lot of what we were saying earlier about just being confident as an individual. You are you. Yeah, so true. Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Mate, coffee every, every morning. Every morning. Um, glass of wine on the weekend with my wife, I guess, but mate, I'm coffee every day. <laughs> Me too. Uh, number three, what's one bit of advice you'd give your 18-year-old self? <sighs> this one's tough because I've always really disliked it um, because I, don't, I try not to live with regret. And so really the answer is, is quite simple. If it was my 18-year-old self, what we just spoke about there, just live. You, you have to live and hopefully live without regrets. Number four, what book do you gift the most? Born to Run, Chris McDougall. Not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? <sighs> this is, I think I was accused a lot earlier in my life of, of not being vulnerable. But I think what I do now, I think I am putting myself in, in real vulnerable positions and, and putting myself on the line and a, a lot. And, you know, I think that is in itself incredibly powerful, James. Yeah, absolutely. Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? It happens. 
certainly does. <laughs> number, <laughs> number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? My mom, my dad, my sister, and Holly, my wife. That's all I care about. Love it. Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? I wanted to give you some like brand new app that I'd found for this, James, and really blow the, the, the listeners away. But <laughs> honestly, mate, there's three things that, that I, I want to say here. The best resource is listening, thinking, and spending time in reflection. I think we spend a lot of time with different tools, technology, and stuff, and that's forcing us in a way not to listen, think, and reflect enough. So if I can advise anyone, do more of that. Brilliant. Absolutely. Number nine. This is a question I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on. Share one thing on your bucket list if there's anything left. <laughs> to be honest, mate, it's so weird. I don't even have a bucket <laughs> list. Holly is always like, oh, I want to go here. I want to go there. You know, but mate, so long as I search for special moments with people that I love. If, if Holly said to me, mate, I want to go to Timbuktu, and I was there with her on a beach, and we're both together, I'd be the happiest man in the universe, mate. It's, um, you know, obviously, mate, when there's a great view and, and, and a nice cold beer or whatever and a good cup of coffee in the morning, then that really makes <laughs> life amazing. But I'm not too stressed where I go. We'll pencil you in for a chicken palmy and a, and a schooner at the Sunshine Beach Surf Club next time we're both back in Australia. Yeah, mate. They just <laughs> renovated it recently as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, final question, number 10. What's one thing you do to win the day? I wake up one minute before everyone else. I never set my alarm at 4.30. I set it at 4.29. I would never set it at 5 a.m. I set it at 4.59. I've done it for a while now, and I feel that that gives me the edge. And I never, ever, ever press snooze and nor should you. So good. I'm going to be setting my alarm and I'm sure all the people listening and watching this on YouTube are going to be doing <laughs> the same from now on. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Marcus Smith and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow him on Instagram at MJD underscore Smith. Check out his documentary Fight for Every Breath on YouTube. Listen to his Inner Fight podcast and visit his website, mjdsmith.com. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Marcus, amazing stuff. Thanks so much for being on the show. James, thank you so much. Everyone that's listened, thank you so much. I appreciate you all. As I said, this is therapy for me. So much love, guys. Thank you, James. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Marcus. What an extraordinary journey of resilience and motivation. As we say often on the show, how you respond to adversity when it inevitably strikes is what separates ordinary people from extraordinary achievers. So use lessons from Marcus to keep moving forward no matter how bad things seem. To get access to episodes as soon as they're released, hit that subscribe button. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a comment on the YouTube video or in the Apple podcast rating to let us know your favorite takeaway. And if you want to help spread the word, please give, up, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Win the Day with James Whitaker is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for this episode. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always. Always.